0: Okay, please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in Luke chapter 17. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Someone will come to you. Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Bibles, anyone? <clears throat> Luke chapter 17, verse 1. It says, Then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. And then the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would open up our minds and hearts to this picture before us, Lord, which is a, a picture of a man, a picture of a woman who really understands your grace. But Lord, we need your help to bring that under, so that we could understand this picture, that we could understand your grace, the forgiveness which is offered, Lord. In you, And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse through Luke. And here it says in verse 1, it, Jesus says, It is impossible that no offenses should come. What does that mean? It is impossible that no offenses will come. Well that word offenses some of your translation may use the word stumbling blo- block. It is impl- is it impossible it's impossible that no stumbling block will come across your way. What it means is things that will trip you up in your walk with God, things that will cause you to mess up bad with God, things that cause you to be confused in your walk with God, things that cause you to stray from God. Jesus is saying in this verse, look, we live in a fallen, messed up world. It's been messed up by sin. Don't think for a minute that after you give your life to God and follow me, that there won't be stuff which is going to come your way. That they, these things won't come your way. He says, they, he, what he's saying is that, that they will, and they'll cause you to mess up bad in your walk with God, or they'll cause you to be con, uh, confused, or, or they'll cause you to stray. He's saying this world is a, a messed up, fallen place. These things will come. But then he says in verse one, it says, but woe, which is a, a word about God's judgment, woe to those by who they come. And so it, it, it says, it is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him who, whom they do, through whom they do come, verse two, it would be better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and be thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Now, little ones here refers to a new believer in Jesus. A new believer. There's a similar verse in Matthew. The context there is little kids. But here, it's referring to new believers in Christ. So this is what Jesus is saying in these first two verses. Get it out of your mind that after you become a Christian that bad things won't come your way, that somehow everything's going to be all right and everyone is just going to be treating you in the body of Christ, in the family of God, they're just going to be treating you oh so wonderful. Get that out of your mind. But, oh man, is that person in trouble who is the cause of a young believer to be ensnared in sin, to stumble. So you're following me now? He's saying, look, stumbling blocks will come. You'll see things and people will do things to you that are gonna cause you confusion. They're gonna cause you actually to sin and mess up and stray away from God. But he says, oh man, but the person by whom those things come, they're gonna face judgment. Judgment. If they don't turn to me and turn away from their hypocrisy, from their make pretense way of living, Uh, they're going to have judgment uh, coming to them. That's a comfort, should be a comfort to you. In Psalm 23, verse 1, very popular psalm, it says this: It says, The Lord is my shepherd. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. God is your shepherd. If you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, you're sheep. He's your shepherd. Jesus Christ is your shepherd. And what he's saying here, he doesn't like people messing with you. Better that a millstone be thrown around their neck and be put into the sea, meaning it's gonna, the judgment, God's judgment is gonna be worse on that person. You're a sheep. He doesn't want people messing with you. Again, verse one, What does he say? It is impossible that no offenses will come. Expect to be offended against. Expect to be wronged. Expect to be hurt. Hurt by who? People in the church. (laughs) The context here is people in the church. People who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're going to hurt you. He's warning them. Now, how do I know? How do I know he's talking about Christians hurting Christians? Next verse, verse 3, says, take heed to yourself, meaning you better, this is a really important issue. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, meaning take it to him and tell him about it. And if he repents, forgive him. Verse 4, and if he sins against you seven times in one day, And seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, meaning, I'm sorry, I won't do this again. You take him at face value, Jesus says, and you shall forgive him. Underline that. You shall forgive him. Expect to be hurt by your brothers and sisters in Christ. Just expect it. Now, that may be confusing to some of you. Why? That's weird. I thought this is church. I thought this is where people behave themselves. I thought this is where people love each other. Isn't there a verse out there somewhere? They'll know you are Christians by your love. <laughs> Jesus saying, it's impossible that these things won't happen to you. You're gonna be hurt, but, but just expect it. And the reason he is saying this uh, is, is because we live in a fallen world and the church is made up of men and women and children who've been saved out of the fallen world. Now, do any of you remember Luke chapter 14? Oh, so long ago when we were in Luke chapter 14. The parable of the wedding feast. Do you remember in the parable of the wedding feast, who were the people who decided to accept God's invitation to go to the wedding feast? The, the first bunch of people wouldn't, wouldn't go in. So but who, who were the people who were invited who actually went in? That's right. Oh, very good. Ooh, good. All right. It's uh, the the poor, the maimed, meaning the disfigured, the lame, and the blind, meaning the spiritually poor, the emotionally disfigured, the psychologically lame, and the spiritually blind. Listen, if you're here this morning, and you're a child of God, and you, you have a pretty high opinion of yourself, you're thinking... You're pretty awesome. God recruited you because he needed people like you. You better think again because Jesus said he went out after you because you were poor, disfigured, lame, or blind. That's what he says. In one way or another, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, we all came into God's kingdom a mess. In, in, in one or more parts of our life, we're completely bent and disfigured out of shape. Just the Bible. It's what the Bible says. It's what Jesus uh, says. And Jesus' point in chapter 17 is that in that kind of environment, hurt will come your way by brothers and sisters. Verse 1, it's impossible to think that this isn't going to happen. That's what he's saying. However, he says, verse 3. If this happens, you need to do something. You need to do something. Now, before you were a Christian, before God brought life into you by filling you with the Holy Spirit, which the Bible says happens to every person who puts their trust in Jesus Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. Before that happens... Before you came into a relationship with God, when you were offended, when you were hurt, when you were sinned against by another, you responded in a different way. You cut that person out of your life. Huh, that person? Keep them in my life? My life? I don't think so. No way. You cut them off, you avoided them, you ran away. The problem is, once you're a Christian, your life is no longer yours. It's no longer your life. Well, this is my life. No, it's not. Don't tell me that. It's not your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Wonderful two verses. You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. What was the price? Look at the cross. Jesus hanging on the cross. You are not your own. You were bought at a price, the Bible says. The Bible says God is holy, that when we sin, when we sin against God, the punishment is death, everlasting death, but that the gift of God is life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When you make Jesus your Lord, your master, you exchange his life. For your life, he lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the dead, so that you can become perfect before God. But the Bible says, in order for that to happen, you need to exchange your life, give your life, and then take on his. You need to trade. It's a trade, it's an exchange. Your life for his life, so that your life is no longer your own. It's his life. (laughs) It's his life. That's what that verse means. And one of the ramifications of your life no longer being your own is that when you are hurt by someone in God's family, you can't run away. You no longer have that option. That's what the world does. That's why the church is called holy. Holy it's repeatedly called holy why because everyone in there is acting you know perfect no it's because they are holy is means separate means different that's what holy means it means different it means they are responding to being hurt in a completely different way that the world is and so people look at them and they go that's different that's not the way i've done things my whole life that's not the way i'm used to being treated If a brother sins against you, if a sister sins against you, no matter how unbearable the thought may be of going to them, Jesus says you need to do it. And listen, it's the only way we're going to grow as a church. This is the only way we're going to grow. If everyone in the body of Christ insists on sweeping everything underneath the rug every time they are wronged against, we're never going to grow. We're never going to look any different. We're just going to, we're not going to resemble the people that God wants us to resemble. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13 says this. Now this is kind of a tough verse to work through, but we'll try. This is Ephesians chapter 4 verse 13. We work together, which is the preceding verses. That's a a paraphrase. We work together, meaning we, the body of Christ. We work together until we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. Now, you can just capitalize that word man because the thought is is that we, we come to resemble Jesus Christ, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It's a mouthful, <laughs> but what it, what it means is that oh, we all work together and we do things like this because the Lord wants us to grow up and look like Jesus, not just us individually, but us as a church. And let me tell you, we have so much to learn from each other, including me. Look, not a month goes by, someone comes up to me. Look, I this is what you did to me. Can I tell you? Oh, yes, okay. And, and, and I, I, I appreciate the feedback. I have stuff to learn from you. You have things to learn from me. And part of it is when you've been wronged. You, it's, the Bible says you go to every single time that you've been wrong. Like every, no, it's not that. But when, when something is staying with you and it's not going away, it's a clear indication from God that you go to the person. Verse four says, and if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns you, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Ay, ay, ay. crazy sounding. Well, it's crazier in Matthew. And in the book of Matthew, um, the apostle Peter comes to Jesus, and he says this, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? He thought he was a real special guy can do it seven times. How often? This is what Jesus responded. Jesus said in his response, I did not say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. The idea is this. In the Bible, the number seven is the number of completion, the number of perfection, the number of eternity. So when Jesus says you need to forgive 70 times seven, he is not saying some of you may be going, whew, just 490 times? No, that's, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that after someone sins against you 490 times, you stop forgiving them. If, if that was the case, families, <laughs> families would be in big trouble. I mean, you just asked my wife, Stephanie, at 490, I racked that up in a month, man. I, you know, I, we, we, we just celebrated 25 years. That's not what he's saying. he's saying. He's saying the point of all of this is what? Always forgive. And it's not an option. Your life is not your own. Remember when Jesus taught us how to pray in Matthew chapter 6 and gave us the Lord's Prayer, how did he teach us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins even as we forgive those who sin against us. Jesus is simply acknowledging there that in our prayer that every day we're sinned against, every day. And and, and, and and he's saying it needs to be a lifestyle of forgiveness. Now let's pause. I just want to pause for for a moment here because for some of you, this is just an exceedingly hard word, unbearable. And there's a few of you here. this is just unbearable. <laughs> One thing I don't want to do is trivialize the hurt, trivialize the pain that some of you have experienced and maybe in right now because some deep gaping wound that someone has done to you, someone close to you, someone in the body of Christ, grievous. And, and, And I don't want to minimize about how hard it is minimize or or trivialize how hard it really is to get over that I'm not saying that it's easy if someone sins against you seven times a day just forgive him if someone sins against you seventy times seven forgive him well no problem well no problem Jesus what else is on the plate no no that's, that's not what we're saying actually as we read on we find it's impossible If you're reading this and thinking, but that's impossible. You're in good company. Why do I say that? That's what the apostles thought. Look at the next verse, verse five. The apostles hear this. Someone comes to you seven times a day and say, I repent, you you just take them at face value and and you forgive them. The apostles say, and the apostles said to Jesus, increase our faith. Increase our faith. We can't do that, Lord. Please increase our faith. Notice here, it's not talking about parting the Red Sea. It's not talking here about starting a church or starting a ministry. It's talking about forgiveness. We can't do that. So you're not the first person who has said, I can't forgive. You're not. It's, a big, it's such a danger every time in counseling with a Christian, they think they're the first person to have been wounded like they are being asked to forgive. No. Increase our faith, please. How does Jesus respond? Well, his answer may surprise you. He refuses to answer their prayer. He actually says no. Do you notice that sometimes God says no? The Bible says yes. He knows what's best for us. In so many words, he says no. Verse six, the Lord says, if you can have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, mulberry trees are famous for their roots. They actually can tear up a foundation, a mulberry tree. You can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Okay, now, so what is going on here? Here's what's going on the apostles hear that no matter how many times someone sins against you and no matter how bad they need to forgive. Jesus says, you shall forgive. And so what do they do? They say, well, we can't do that. Give us more faith. And Jesus says, what he's saying here in this verse is, you have the faith. You have it. Now go exercise it. That's what he's saying. The Bible says that every child of God has faith. Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, the gift of God is eternal life and that and that is through faith and it says and that not of yourself it is a gift you are saved by faith and that is not from yourself it is a gift of God Ephesians 2 8 says Jesus is saying you have enough faith the issue is not how big your faith is the issue is how big your God is even with a mustard seed of faith. God doesn't need anything more than a mustard seed. And when you get on a plane and you cross the Atlantic, the person who has no faith in the plane except a mustard seed and the person who's done it a million times and has a gigantic, I don't know, watermelon of faith, they're both gonna get there. If they step on the plane, they're gonna get to the other side of the Atlantic. And, and, And so... It, 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 the, issue is not if you, the issue is not how big your faith is. The issue is how big your God is. And Jesus is saying th- this. Now, listen very carefully. The issue, this is what he is saying, and, and this should cut right into our heart if we're struggling with unforgiveness. He's saying this. The issue is not that you don't have enough faith to forgive. The issue is you don't want to you don't want to. That's really what is going on here. I absolutely love this quote from Soren Kierkegaard. He's a Danish Christian philosopher. I just love this quote. He said this It is hard to believe, not because it is hard to understand, but because it is hard to obey. Oh, man. Is that tr- I know, I'm not sure if that registered. Let, let me read it one more time. It's hard to believe, not because it's hard to understand. We, we understand exactly what Jesus is saying. But because it's hard to, to obey. So the, the, the issue is this. It's not that we need more faith. It's that we just need to obey. Forgiveness is an act of the will. It's a choice. Sometimes we have to make it every hour, depending on how deep the wound is but we need, it's not a feeling, by the way, it's a choice. How do we get to that place where we choose forgiveness? We've been hurt so bad so many times, 70 times seven, how? When you are when you can't get out of your mind about how someone has wronged you, when you just can't get out of that mind, you just replay it in your mind over and over again it won't go away. You need to bring the cross into view. And I would even suggest this. Just try closing your eyes and going there to the cross. If some wrong against you and you're replaying it over and over again, just take a detour in your mind. You're replaying the wrong. Let's, why don't you just replay the cross? And just close your eyes and go there and see that body laying there, nailed to the cross. The Bible says that the sight was so ghastly that men turned their faces. Isaiah 53 says this, we hid our faces from him. A tortured body on a cross. That's what what should have happened to you. First sermon ever given in the church, Acts chapter 2. Peter said, "You crucified, the king of glory. Our sin, your sin, led to that tortured body. When you can't forgive, bring the cross in to view. The Bible says, "If you have by faith received Jesus Christ into your life to take over the throne of your heart, the Bible says you've been forgiven." Completely forgiven. It doesn't matter what you did, no matter how. Speaking of the word "ghastly," no matter how ghastly and and ugly and gross your sin has been. And remember, sin is sin is an offense. It's a crime against God. No matter how many crimes you've had against God, no matter how, and, and the Bible says, any time you disobey the word of God, that's a crime, that's a sin against God. The Bible says you put your faith in Christ, says you have been forgiven by that cross, washed, cleansed, justified, made right with Him, actually perfect in His sight. How much you have been forgiven but it didn't start there Uh, rather it didn't stop there he forgave and then what did he do what happened to the prodigal son he was forgiven and then he was what given he was forgiven and then he was given the best robe a ring on his finger a fatted calf a feast as you bring the cross into view how much you've been forgiven and how much you have been given and we had a this weekend we had an elders meeting in and down on the cape right near to where i was born and i just went to this 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 place there that My kids and our family, we often, we go in as a family and we we go for clams and we all get sopping wet and torture ourselves in the freezing cold and we pull up a bunch of clams and make a chowder out of it And, and I'm looking at over this and I'm just thinking about how good God has been to me. my father when i was born he was an enemy of god so was my mother i was not raised in a christian family now by the grace of god they all came to the lord eventually when actually when we were older but i was not raised in a christian home How God has saved me from destruction and crowned me with loving kindness, the psalm says. And I'm just looking over this scene where, you know, my my kids and I and my wife have just such a wonderful time. I'm just surrounded by a wife who loves me, kids who love me. I have a ministry that I absolutely don't deserve. I'm there on the cape with seven men who know my flaws. They've seen them, but they love me anyway. How can you not forgive when you bring the cross into view? And I love the way that the I love the way that the uh, our, our scripture reading for this morning ends. He says. Now, seven, 7 through 10 is a picture of someone who has experienced the cross, who's brought the cross in view. And not only the cross, but what has been given into view. He says, which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, so he's saying, which of you has someone who works for you? who tends sheep for you who's a farmhand for you will say to him when he comes in from the field come at once and sit down to eat so what he's saying is that's not typically what you do because the the this person who works for you they don't you know that's not part of their job eating with you he's not Teaching you not to have a meal with someone who works for you, but he's just uh, the general idea is, is when when someone comes in from the field to work for you, which of you is going to come and say say to him, come down and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, now prepare something for me for dinner? Is what he says, and get yourself ready and serve me. Until I have eaten and I have uh, I've had my my drink and, and afterward, uh, and afterward, after I eat and drink, uh, the, then then the servant will go refresh himself or or whatever. It says, does he think and does he? St- thank that servant because that servant did the things that were required of him. I think not. Now, again, he's not telling you not to thank people who work for you. But, but, but the issue is this, verse 10. So likewise, you, when you have done all the things which you are commanded, and say, you say, we're unprofitable servants. We've only done what was our duty to do. Let me tell you, if someone comes up to me at this point in my life and says, I can't believe uh, what you do, Steve, you know, running around all the time doing 20,000 different things that a pastor do, I, I really feel sorry for you. I don't feel sorry for me at all. I am the most privileged person on the face of the earth as far as I'm concerned. If you understand the grace of God and the cross and what was done for you, you're not gonna be expecting anything from God. <laughs> Nothing. That's the point of what he's saying. When you come in from the field uh, and, and you've done your work, Uh, Are you expecting thanks? Uh, No, you're not. You're saying, I don't deserve anything that I've gotten. And that's the wonderful work of grace that God wants to do in all of our lives, that we deserve nothing. And everything, the exceeding abundance of God's grace, the Bible says that he pours on us, he he gives us the abundant life. It's not that he doesn't give uh, us. He, He gives us so much. It's just that we don't deserve any of it. Neither should we think we do, we do. That's the point he's making. That's the power of the cross. That's why we should forgive. What do you mean don't forgive? Look, look what's been done for you. Look what you have been forgiven of and look at what you have been given that you don't deserve. It's the whole point here. And I tell you, when someone has experienced the cross someone who just closes their eyes and goes there and understands by faith what did happen, in fact happened there. That Jesus exchanged places with us. He went to the cross. He raised after three days from the dead. Death couldn't hold him down and they put their faith in Jesus and they understand that grace. That is a powerful life. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up at this point and... Also, if you've been asked to pray, to please come up. Look, you know, as as we are in, as we close with a worship song this morning, I hope God's been stirring your heart. (laughs) Certainly, that's what I pray before every message. There's someone in here, in this room, that you've just been harboring bitterness to, bitterness with. There's some kind of division. I want you just during the worship song to get right up where you are and go to them and just forgive and be forgiven. Or if there's someone in your life who's not in this room that, man, they have grievously wounded you. Grievously. And you just... It just seems impossible to be able to forgive. I want you to just come up, and we'll have people right here. We'll have people right here at the pulpit, and a couple in the corners. I want you to just come up. This is the time. This is the family of God. We got to be make our hearts just transparent before them, and and ask for forgiveness. And if you happen to be in this room, and you've never come to Jesus Christ, and asked Him for forgiveness for just living a life contrary to, it, to him and his word. If you've never done that, I'd also like you to come up as well. The Bible says that if you ask Jesus for forgiveness and put your faith for what he did on the cross for you, you will be saved. You will transfer from death to life and your your place in heaven is secured for all eternity just by an act of faith. No good thing you can can do to deserve that, but you can do it just by entering into a relationship with him by faith. So as the worship team begins, why don't we stand? We will pray. And... When the worship team begins, you can come up. Remember, Rithu and Marie will be in the back after the service. Also, just wanted to mention that tonight we have a prayer service. We're going to focus on the radio. We're trying to bring Christian FM radio into the city, and we're almost there. We'd like to pray about that. But um, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I we come to you, Lord. And... Lord, we we marvel at the cross. And and Lord, I I, I do pray for anyone in here who, Lord, there was a time I certainly didn't get it. I didn't get what happened on the cross. I pray that you would bring every man and woman and child in this room into the fullness of understanding about what happened there and how that relates to their life. I pray that you would do it, Lord. In Jesus' name, I pray that that you would do it. And Lord, I pray that you would draw up to the front now anybody harboring division or bitterness or unforgiveness in their life. That you would draw them up here to, to just to come alongside and, and pray. And Lord, if there's two people in this room that there needs to be a transaction of forgiveness, I pray that you draw them together right now, Lord. And Father, if there's someone who needs to do that transaction with you, the exchange life. Here, Lord Jesus, take my life. I want yours, Lord. I pray by faith, Lord, that that person this morning would come up here and pray alongside of a brother or sister, Lord, just to receive that everlasting forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for this whole picture of grace. We thank you for it. Lord, we worship you for it. Lord, and we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen.